From 90.3 RLCWVPH-FM Piscataway, it's the Core News for the week of Monday, December 6th. This week on the Core News, what's happening this week at the Rutgers Zone? An update on national politics? You'll find out about the Rutgers Children's Christmas Faraday Lecture. Much more exciting than it actually sounds. We'll hear about the big chill. And of course, you'll have some entertainment news from your friend and mine, the Sherman Tank. So, bundle up, get a hot beverage, try to stay out of those flurries that we saw earlier today. And get ready for the core news. With international news, here's Yashwanth Manjanath. The theme of this week's international news is all of the new information we learned from the recent WikiLeaks post-Thanksgiving dump. So first off, it turns out China and North Korea's relationship as fellow communist allies is not as strong as it used to be. China is actually distancing itself from the Kim Jong-il regime. While China is critical of tactics used by the U.S. to pressure North Korea against developing nuclear weapons, China is also very frustrated with the missile and nuclear tests being conducted by the regime. China is also worried about the economic impact of political instability in the region and the potential in the future for a succession struggle when Kim Jong-il dies. Also revealed in the WikiLeaks dump is that China's foreign minister told U.S. officials that North Korea's missile test in 2009 gave the impression of North Korea acting like a, quote, spoiled child. And a Chinese ambassador said the country's actions are a, quote, threat to the world security. It appears the younger members of China's Communist Party leadership no longer view North Korea as a useful ally worth risking the potential economic damage of war. In other WikiLeaks-related news, the United States military secretly bombed terrorist camps in Yemen and then collaborated with Yemen's president, Ali Abdullah Saleh, to tell the press that the bombs were Yemen's, not ours. In the cable obtained by WikiLeaks, Sela lamented the use of cruise missiles that are, quote, not very accurate and welcomed the use of aircraft-deployed, precision-guided bombs instead. Sela also said, we'll continue saying the bombs are ours, not yours, prompting Yemen's Deputy Prime Minister Alimi to joke that he had just, quote, lied by telling Parliament that the bombs in Arhab, Abiyan, and Shabwa were American-made but deployed by the ROYG, or the Republic of Yemen government. Finally, it turns out that almost every Middle Eastern country wanted us to bomb Iran, from the Saudis, the Bahrainis, and even the Egyptians. According to the New York Times, the hatred that Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak has for Iran is visceral. Other news obtained by WikiLeaks is that Iran and North Korea are working together. North Korea sold Iran missiles that could easily allow Iran to develop intercontinental ballistic missiles, or ICBMs. North Korea did this while telling the public only that they sold Iran missile components, not full missiles. ICBMs would give Iran the capability to attack Israel, Russia, Western Europe, and even the United States. All of this information obtained by WikiLeaks was leaked by Private Bradley Manning, who has since been arrested and could face life in prison for his actions. And with the international news, I'm Yashwanth Manjanath. 
This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. The Rutgers Zone has games, snacks, and TVs. It hosts fun events, and it's located right here in the Livingston Student Center. Here's what's happening in The Zone this week. Hi guys, this is Ashley from the Rucker Zone. Come join us on Tuesday for our live music series. We're having Marie Sayo come perform, and she's just a local singer-songwriter. So come sit on our comfortable couches and enjoy some live entertainment, 9.30. And Wednesday, we have our weekly trivia tournament. It's actually the last week for the bus time trivia. Come register your teams by 8.30 and get some in-house appetizers and receive an RU Express gift card from Rupa as a prize. Thursday, we're having a Christmas story viewing party and Chinese food spectacular. We're going to have a visit from Santa Claus. So you can take pictures with him and s'mores and chestnuts on our open fire at the fire pit. And please leave your Red Rider BB gun at home. Join us for our weekly zone late night starting at 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And enjoy free tokens and ice cream cones courtesy of RU Shore and RASRR. If you guys want more information, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash ruckerzone or at our website at zone.ruckers.edu. This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core. Once again, here's Yashwanth Majanath. In national political news and commentary, in addition to WikiLeaks, another controversial release of government documents took place this week. The Federal Reserve released its balance sheet for the last two years leading up to the financial crash. The Fed was required to do this through the, quote, audit the Fed provision of the financial reform legislation that just passed Congress a few months ago. Although the Federal Reserve, the Treasury Department, and the Wall Street banks were kicking and screaming on that issue the whole way. The real damage caused by the financial crash is stunning. As revealed by the Fed documents, it turns out that the $700 billion TARP bailout passed by the Bush administration was nothing almost a diversion from the real bailout. The Fed secretly gave $3.3 trillion in emergency aid to the failing Wall Street megabanks. But if that isn't bad enough, the two biggest beneficiaries of Fed money were European megabanks, Deutsche Bank and Credit Suisse. Why is the American Federal Reserve bailing out European megabanks at all? And the Fed did not stop there They also secretly gave money to non-financial entities like McDonald's and Harley-Davidson. This news should enrage taxpayers because it turns out that Wall Street received nearly six times more money from the federal government than the public was told. Wall Street was also allowed to borrow from the Fed at a 0.0078% interest rate. To put that into perspective... They were able to borrow money from the Fed and then loan it out to businesses and individuals and collect an interest rate 1,000 times greater than what they had to pay the Fed for the money in the first place. But it gets better. They were also allowed to use the money to buy Treasury bonds from the government and collect nearly 4% interest from the Treasury. That is, in essence, printing money on behalf of Wall Street bankers directly from the Treasury and funneling it to them through the Federal Reserve. All done in secret. It's no wonder some people are cynical about how the government works and think that the bankers are running the country. In other Federal Reserve-related news, the Federal Reserve is lobbying Congress for a bill to strip a key protection from homeowners facing foreclosure. The protection in question is a provision of the 1968 Truth in Lending Act that gives homeowners the right to cancel or rescind illegal loans 
for up to three years after the transaction was completed if the buyer wasn't provided with proper disclosure at the time of the closing. The Fed wants homeowners to have to pay the bank the full amount of the loan up front in advance before being able to challenge the banks on their predatory lending practices. Obviously, very few, if any, homeowners can come up with that kind of capital in these tough economic times, especially if they're facing foreclosure already. So the Fed wants to essentially prevent people who might be being foreclosed on illegally by their bank to have no legal recourse. It could not be clearer that the Federal Reserve has become a tool of the Wall Street banks to steal money from ordinary citizens. There's no justification for what they're trying to do right now. President Obama's deficit commission came out with its final recommendations this week. The controversial plan was killed this week as it failed to garner the 14 out of 18 votes needed to be sent over to Congress. The plan called for drastic cuts in Social Security by tying cost of living increases, or COLA, to inflation rather than wage growth and raising the retirement age to 68 around 2050 and 69 around 2075. It also called for drastic cuts to federal spending on education, job training, and medical research. The plan would have cut taxes for the wealthiest Americans by reducing the highest tax bracket from 35% to 23% and cutting the corporate tax rate from 35% to 26%. It would also have frozen pay for non-combat and military personnel and hurt veterans' benefits by adding copays to the VA and TRICARE. The VA and TRICARE are the main sources of health care for most veterans. Critics of the plan argue that it focused too much on cuts to the poor, middle class, elderly, and veterans, and not enough on the real reasons for the current budget crisis, namely the Bush tax cuts, the two unpaid wars, the unpaid Medicare Part D entitlement, and the Wall Street bailouts. With the national political news and commentary, I'm Yashwant Manjanath. This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. The Core News will be back right after this. This is The Core News, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. The Rutgers Faraday Christmas Children's Lectures. It doesn't sound like a barrel of laughs, but the physics department at Rutgers is known for making science something fun that you can see right in front of you, occasionally exploding. To find out more, we speak to the guy who puts it all together. My name is uh, David Mayulo, and what I am at Rutgers University is the physics support specialist in the Department of Physics. Actually, we have three nights. We have a Friday night show, Saturday night show, and a Sunday night show. Well, what we have is a pretty large physics lecture hall area, and uh, we're going to do an hour and a half of uh, physics demonstrations. They're kind of eye-catching and exciting, and I know it sounds kind of dry. You know, it's physics, it's science. But we do it in a way so that it actually is very intriguing and and entertaining and, you know, a little bit of comedy involved. But uh, we never really stop at any time, and we just keep moving through uh, a lot of different physics principles. And uh, it's an awful lot of fun. People really seem to enjoy it. It's called the Rutgers Faraday Christmas Children's Lecture? Absolutely, yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, the reason we gave it that moniker is there was a gentleman named Michael Faraday who uh, discovered many, many important things. And years ago, he started this as a tradition back in England. 
and um, he did a series of these shows for the British public, and uh, we've decided that in his honor, we would name our shows after what his efforts were, and we've, I guess we started, this is our 13th year of these two. So uh, we started a long time ago doing them, and um, we still really enjoy it. Is it mostly children and their parents who come? Do college students ever come? You know what? We've had everybody, all different ages, age groups. Uh, I've seen people on dates at these things. I've seen, you know, uh, two-year-olds here, and I've seen 100-year-olds here. So um, there's really no limit to what kind of person is going to enjoy this. And what are a couple examples of demonstrations that you'll perform? Well, let's see. Uh, well, one of the demonstrations I perform is uh, using a tube uh, with flame in it, which actually will show people what sound looks like, because we can actually get the size of different sound waves, and we can actually show people what the way sound waves look like using the flames. We'll take hydrogen and helium balloons and uh, light them on fire, and we'll show people what happens when you actually uh, put a flame to a hydrogen balloon, and it's uh, kind of exciting for people. We'll also have beds of nails, and I know that seems like a sideshow attraction, but actually there's a lot of physics behind beds of nails and why people can survive lying on top of them. And are these mostly demonstrations that you use in physics classes at Rutgers? Every single one of them is actually used in the physics class. All of these demonstrations have been designed to uh, be part of the physics classes. But um, I think it was about 15 to 20 years ago that I started to take these uh, same demonstrations and bring them to the general public at libraries and senior centers and other schools and such. I've done shows, I would say, Coney Island, bars in New York City, under the Brooklyn Bridge, also in pretty much every area of New Jersey and um, in every type of area of New Jersey, too, uh, state fairs, that kind of thing. So it's really kind of developed into a, a really nice outreach program for, for Rutgers. What kind of reactions do you get from people? Well, most of the time, they're fascinated both by the, um, the fieriness of it, the flashiness of some of the demonstrations, but they're also very intrigued by the physics. They actually do like to come up at the end of the shows or even in the middle of them and, and interrupt us and say, you know, well, what's really going on there and, and what's really happening here? And so although the you know, the demonstrations are really designed to be very intriguing. There's an awful lot of physics behind each demonstration, and we try to make the physics as clear as possible. We don't want it to be a magic show. We really want it to be a show that actually gets people interested in the science. Why do you think Faraday chose to, to have his original lecture for children at Christmas? Boy, that's a great question. I, you know, in a way, I think that Faraday might have had the same idea that we do in doing the show, and that, um, look, you know, we want to demystify science. We want to show people what's behind some of the things that they, they really don't seem to understand on a regular basis. And Faraday, you know, was inventing a lot of things that uh, involved the early use of electricity. And at that point, electricity was very mysterious, and it was something that the public really didn't know much about and kind of was a little worried about in some ways. And uh, he tried to show people all the different uses of it. And I think part of that was actually just purely public relations. He wanted to have more support for his experiments and for his programs and, um, you know, to, to be even more popular in the public. And that really helped him. He became very famous uh, due to these shows. And I'm not sure we're going to do it to become famous because that's not really, not really our goal. But it's to give back to the public and actually to show people, you know, hey, look, Rutgers really wants people to enjoy what we're doing here. So, Is there anything else you'd want to say about the Faraday shows or about physics? Yeah, um, I would say that, um, you know, what the Faraday cho shows try to show us is that physics is really all around and something that people can really get excited about if they just spend a little time thinking about it. You know, not just the stars in astronomy, which always intrigue people, but really just the nuts and bolts of physics. 
and we'll show it in really intriguing and, and fun ways. And um, anybody can come. The shows are free, which is always great. You know, if it's for free, it's for me. And uh, I think that um, if they really do want get to get a seat, because we have about 320 seats, uh, they have to get here early enough to find one. So they should be here by 6.30 on the night of each show. The shows run from 7 to 8.30. And we'll have a lot of hands-on demonstrations set up before the shows just so people can spend a little time uh, looking some, at some other physics phenomena, too. So they won't be bored even when they're waiting for the show to start. Could you say when and where the shows are going to be? Absolutely. We're going to have all three shows at the same spot, the Physics Lecture Hall on Bush Campus. That's located right behind the bus stop at Hill Center. The shows will start at 7. They'll end right around 8.30 every night. It's not always at 8.30, but it's right around then. Like I say, if you want a seat, I say get here by 6.30. Is there a website or anything? Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, the address is rather long, but if they just go to the Department of Physics website here at Rutgers University, we actually have uh, the banner for the Faraday shows right up front and center on that, so they just click on that, and all the information about the Faraday shows is there. And also, they get to actually go to different descriptions of the demonstrations to see if they think they might be intrigued. If somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, you know, I really don't know much about physics, maybe I should, you know, find out a little more. I'd say come to the show first and uh, see what you think, and then just email me. My email is pretty public, and I can lead you to a bunch of different sites that would actually, um, you know, show you a lot of the different physics uh, behind almost everything around you. Yeah. That was Dave Mayulo, Laboratory Support Specialist for the Physics Department, right here at Rutgers. And you're listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. When we come back, you'll hear the Sherman Tanks Entertainment Update and find out a little more about the Big Chill. The Core News will be back right after this. The 8th Annual Big Chill will be taking place on College Avenue at 9 a.m. on December 11th outside the Rutgers Gym. This 5K race and walk benefits New Brunswick charities. Racers must contribute a toy for a child between the ages of 3 and 14, but you need to register on your own or with the team first. For arrival times and registration information, please visit bigchill.ruckers.edu. That's bigchill.ruckers.edu. This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. Every year in the beginning of December, you start to see something kind of unusual around Rutgers. Polar bears. No, not real ones. I mean posters and flyers bearing the polar bear mascot of the Big Chill, the annual charitable run-slash-walk, brought to you by Rutgers Recreation. I'm Diane Bonanno, Executive Director of Recreation and Community Development. Saturday, December 11th, the Big Chill will be happening at Rutgers in New Brunswick. How long has Rutgers been doing the Big Chill for? This will be the eighth annual event. And why did why did Recreation start it in the first place? Well, we were looking to uh, try and do some kind of community event uh, eight years ago. And we knew that there were an awful lot of turkey trots going on, so we decided to focus our attention on something just before exam. So when I thought of doing this race, I decided that there shouldn't be an entrance fee, but there should be a toy donated for a child. So that filled in, one, a recreation activity before exams, and two, a community service that the students could do for the people in the area. 
Usually when I mention the big chill to someone, they say, you know, why would anyone go and do a walk in the middle of the winter? What kind of, uh, what kind of reaction have people had to the big chill? Are a lot of people interested in it? Well, we cut off the uh, registration today because 5,400 people had already registered. That's 1,300 more than last year on this very same day. We expect that maybe another five or 600 will register in person on Friday and Saturday. So there's definitely an appeal. I'm not sure that it's walking in the cold, but I think it's giving a toy to a child, doing something before exams to uh, lessen some stress, and just being with your friends and having some fun. So how long is the race course? 5K or 3.2 miles. Where does it go on College Avenue? It actually goes uh, down College Avenue, then left on Somerset Street and up George, comes back to College Avenue, goes into uh, the park, goes around the park, leaves the park, goes behind the College Avenue gym, and comes up three blocks uh, beyond that, so that the start and the finish are right at the College Avenue gym. And that's a really good thing, because if it is cold, the gym provides a nice space to uh, keep warm before and after the race. And after the race, we not only announce the winners, but more importantly, we have all sorts of uh, things to snack on, like bagels and chips and uh, fruit and whatnot. Are there any prizes for the finishers or for anything at the race? About 30 different restaurants provide um, gift certificates for the winners. So we, they get a medal plus a gift certificate. And then the piece I like the best is we give out um, pizza parties to the various groups that have the most participants. So the largest residence hall, fraternity and sorority, a sport club, athletic team, and um, the general public, uh, as well as the uh, general club, are eligible to uh, to win that pizza party. Do you happen to know what some of the biggest groups were that won those prizes? Or like the numbers of people that were in the groups? Well, I know that gymnastics, the gymnastics team has won in the past. They've had 25 people. I know that uh, one of the cultural organizations uh, one last year, they had 57 people participate. Those two come to mind. Uh, we've had sport clubs that have 30 people that participate. So for me, that's a nice thing because the group is doing something together. And what kind of toys do people donate? Well, a lot of times students donate what was their favorite toy as a child. So we'll get a lot of Candyland and uh, Monopoly. Now, this year, we already have six bikes donated. Uh, we've gotten many computers in the past. We've gotten dolls, uh, basketballs, uh, all different kinds of sporting goods, trucks, Tonka toys, building blocks. So uh, when you see the stage and all the toys on it, you would think that we were at a place like Toys R Us or Walmart. And are there any toys that people shouldn't bring to donate? Well, we prefer that no one bring guns or uh, anything that speaks to violence. So those are the kinds of things that we uh, discourage. Someone happens to donate that, we don't give it to the children. There are eight different charities that we provide toys to, and we make sure that uh, they don't get any of that. What charities do you provide toys to? Uh, Catholic Charities, the Salvation Army, New Brunswick Housing Authority, the Franklin Township Housing Authority, Children's Specialized Hospital, 
oh, the Red Cross. So those are a few of the eight. And how do the toys actually get to the children after the race? Well, uh, we pack up all the toys on Saturday morning. We get, bring them over to Werblin. About 200 faculty and staff and some volunteers from the public help us wrap them. Uh, they're wrapped, and a sticker is put on each one of them indicating the age of the child that the toy is appropriate for and if it is possibly for a girl or a boy. Once that happens, they are separated so that we know, for instance, that uh, the hospital wants 400 toys or the Salvation Army wants 50 for children this age. So we separate them out. Those people uh, who are head of those programs come and pick up the toys, and then the rest of them goes to the New Brunswick Housing Authority and the Franklin Township Housing Authority. The Big Chill is usually sponsored by a number of businesses and community organizations. And a few years ago, I guess, you know, at the beginning of the economic downturn, it was getting hard for lots of groups to find sponsors. So how's the Big Chill doing now with sponsorships? We're doing well. We exceeded our goal from last year. Uh, What we decided a long time ago was not to rely on one large sponsor, but to get a number of different programs involved. So right now we have 34 different sponsors. Uh, And when you have that many, if someone has a a problem with the economy, uh, you're not losing a large chunk of your sponsorship. Could you please say if somebody wants to register for the Big Chill now, you know, when the registration is on Friday and what times people should arrive on Saturday? On Friday, they can register between 1.30 and 6.30 at the College Avenue gym. On Saturday, between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. The race kicks off at uh, 9.10, so we have to start lining people up at uh, 8.55. And I know that sounds like very precise times, but when you're closing streets in a city, you have to be that precise. The nice part about Friday, we're hoping a lot of students check in on Friday. It will not only help them avoid long lines, but we have a raffle for an iPad. So their name will go into that raffle, and we also have something we call the Golden Bear. About 200 people will find a Golden Bear in their uh, the bag that their uh, T-shirt comes in. And if that's the case, then they can go over and pick from one of 150 uh, different prizes. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so we're hoping a lot of people come. Last year... Over 1,000 students came the day before, which really, really helped out. So this year, because we have 5,400 people already registered, we're hoping 2,000 people come. And so how many people do you think are going to be running and walking in the race on Saturday? Well, our experience, if races usually, uh, about 20% of the people in races usually don't show up. But we have found that for the big chill, it's usually less than 10% who don't show up. But on the flip side... We usually have more than that number sign up in person, so we expect that there will be close to 5,400 people on the street Saturday morning. And is there anything else you'd want to say? Just a thank you to uh, everyone who has uh, registered, and we hope we have another great year. It looks like it's going to be 40 degrees and sunny, so it should be a lot of fun. This is MC Lars, and you're listening to The Core News. Did I say that right? I'm Rebecca Berkowitz with your Core News Historical Note. On December 3rd, 1931, Alka-Seltzer went on sale for the first time. Also on December 3rd, in 1967, the first human heart transplant took place in Cape Town, South Africa. 
On December 4th, 1973, Tyra Banks was born. On December 5th, 1933, the 21st Amendment to the U.S. Constitution is ratified, which ends prohibition. Today, December 6th, in 1865, the 13th Amendment is ratified, officially ending the institution of slavery. In 1884, the Washington Monument is completed, and today, in 1964, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer first airs on television. I'm Rebecca Berkowitz for The Core News here on 90.3 The Core. I'm Mike Duhayne, Rudy Giuliani's campaign manager, former political director of the Republican National Committee, and you're listening to The News on 90.3 The Core. This is the Sherman Tank with another entertainment news update. At this point, would it surprise you if I said that we're going to start off the segment with some news dealing with Peter Jackson's The Hobbit movie? If it would, then you're probably not a regular listener. The production of the two-part movie series has gone through a chair of difficulties, including bankruptcies, copyright disputes, director swaps, and actor strikes. Now you can add a new one to the list, racism. Apparently, the casting department released a casting call for short, light-skinned extras, presumably to play hobbits. The casting director responsible for the call has been fired, and producer-director Peter Jackson has gone into damage control, opening up the possibility for a multicultural hobbit population. Another important bit of hobbit news is slightly heartbreaking to me. Apparently, Jackson's decided to shoot the film in 3D on the brand new Red Epic digital cameras. I'm definitely not a fan of 3D, but I was doubly upset with this news because I was hoping The Hobbit would be shot on film instead of digitally. The warm fantasy vibe that I'm expecting from the movie would look beautiful on film, but then again, I'm not the director, so who cares what I think. From here on out, the rest of the segment's going to be made up of quick little news updates because I have about 25 tabs open in my browser with stories and I can't really fit them all into the next five minutes if I go into detail. So let's do this. MGM's worked out its bankruptcy plan, which has been approved by a New York City judge. The studio will soon be back at work producing movies, and the one that everyone was wondering about is the 23rd James Bond movie. The sorry economic state of MGM had put the Bond series in jeopardy, but apparently everything is go, and the next movie in the series is expected to be greenlit in the next few weeks, with Sam Mendes to direct. You know what's always fun? Casting news. This week, a couple of anticipated upcoming movies and television shows have announced cast lists and cameos. Ghostbusters 3 is apparently moving full steam ahead, which is kind of startling because just a few months ago I was reporting on how Bill Murray was totally and completely opposed to making a third movie. Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis soldiered on, however, and finished the script without him. Now, it appears that not only is Bill Murray going to return to star, so is Sigourney Weaver. Some new faces for the series that are being considered are Bill Hader, Anna Faris, and Eliza Dushku. The Muppet movie is putting together an impressive cast list as well. Jason Segal, Rashida Jones, Paul Rudd, and Amy Adams are set to star alongside Kermit the Frog and crew. I'd already expressed my opinions on how perfect and amazing the casting of Amy Adams in the movie is in a past segment, so we don't need to go through it again. Anyway, the guest list is also looking pretty good so far. Jack Black is going to play himself and feature in many scenes. Also set to make guest appearances are Zach Galifianakis, French Stewart, Billy Crystal, Alan Arkin, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Kristen Schaal, Sean Penn, Eric Stone Street, John Krasinski, Ed Helms, Barbara Eden, Donald Glover, and Danny Trejo. No, that isn't just a list of awesome actors that have nothing to do with each other that I just made up. It's real. It's real, and it's going to be amazing. On the boob tube, J.J. Abrams' new show Alcatraz has begun the casting process as well. Jorge Garcia, a.k.a. Hurley from Lost, a.k.a. the fat guy from Lost, and Sarah Jones from Sons of Anarchy are going to star as members of a team investigating the mysterious disappearances of prisoners from Alcatraz Island. Now, what's the opposite of getting cast in a movie? That's right, not getting cast in a movie, but it's still casting news. Aaron Eckhart, who played the villain Two-Face in 2008's The Dark Knight, has been surrounded by speculation about whether or not he will be returning for the third Batman movie, titled The Dark Knight Rises. It's been a while since I've seen The Dark Knight, but as I remember it, his character just kind of falls off a building or something like that, so people have been thinking that Two-Face will be a part of Batman 3. Eckhart never knew the answer to the question himself, up until now. With shooting going forward soon, Nolan has informed Eckhart that he will not be a part of the movie. In turn, Eckhart has informed us. Thanks, Aaron. 
Remember the social network? If you don't, that probably means you didn't see it. In that case, bad radio listener. Bad. It is absolutely one of the best movies of the year so far, and the National Board of Review agrees. It is named David Fincher's Facebook movie as the best movie of 2010. It also gave Fincher the award for best director, Aaron Sorkin the award for best adapted screenplay, and Jesse Eisenberg the award for best actor. That's all well and good, but the big payoff will come in February at the Kodak Theater in Hollywood, where the movie is expected to make a huge splash at the 83rd Academy Awards, probably as a major multi-award winner. One person I've yet to mention in this segment is really going all out to score a nomination for his role in the movie, Justin Timberlake. Timberlake did indeed turn in an awesome performance in the movie as Napster founder Sean Parker, and probably should get some sort of recognition. He's reaching out to Academy members and showing up at Academy screenings to draw attention to himself, so we'll have to wait and see if he gets the recognition he thinks he deserves. On a related note, the hosts of the upcoming Academy Awards have been announced. Apparently, the Academy is really going all out to bring in the younger audience, particularly teenage males, because the announced hosts are James Franco and Anne Hathaway. No disrespect to those two fantastic actors, but this move really stands out to me as another tactic by the Academy to nab that important male teen to 20 television audience. Normally, we'd have an older, well-established comedic personality hosting. Whereas this year, we're going to have a guy who started an incredibly awful, yet popular, movie about weed in James Franco, and one of the premier female sex symbols in the world in Anne Hathaway. It sounds crazy, Academy, but it just might work. We'll cap off the segment today with some math. DreamWorks has just announced that they intend to release five more Kung Fu Panda movies, two more How to Train Your Dragon movies, and three more Madagascar movies, while Disney has announced two more Pirates of the Caribbean movies are on the way, in addition to the as-yet-unfinished fourth movie. So here's the math part of this. If we add together all 12 of those sequels, how many fart jokes and rum jokes can we expect over the next decade? Email me your answer and you could win absolutely nothing. Please don't email me. This has been the Sherman Tank with all of your latest and greatest entertainment news. That's all for this week's edition of The Core News. We will be back next Monday at 7 p.m. right here on 90.3 The Core. Or you can catch our podcast anytime online at thecore.fm. If you'd like to contact The Core News, ask us a question, suggest a news story, join The Core News team yourself, or, uh, you know, do your impression of the wind blowing or flurries falling, then you can email us at news at thecore.fm. The Core News has been brought to you by Yashwanth Manjanath, Rebecca Berkowitz, the Sherman Tank, Stephen Yannick, and Mindy Hoffman. You've been listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core.